0: Welcome to the Steepleless Church Podcast. My name is John Kimmel. I'm the senior pastor here at Steepleless. I'm with my son, John Kimmel Jr., our associate pastor. And today we're talking about why we are Steepleless. And it certainly is a different model, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so, John, one of the things that's different about our church is that we take the Lord's Supper every week. Why do we do that?
1: Yeah, so uh, we have been convicted... Uh, that we need to start taking the Lord's Supper every week. And that is certainly not a common thing to do, at least in the Protestant church. And um, we have a few reasons for that. Uh, one of the reasons is because historically, uh, communion has been extremely important um, to the church. A lot, Very often, uh, up until even the 1500s, uh, when the church did split into East and West, was... Um, Communion was practiced weekly in those churches before that. And uh, very often people met to take the Lord's Supper and preaching wasn't one of the main reasons why they came to the church. It was actually to take the Lord's Supper. And from a biblical standpoint is we see Jesus say that every time that you break bread, do so in remembrance of me. And so that means every time we eat, especially corporately, uh, we should break bread together. Um, And so we've been convicted that we meet once a week. And so we think that we should um, take part in the Lord's Supper. Also, if you read the Bible, I remember I grew up in a a Baptist church, a Southern Baptist church, and I hadn't really heard much about communion. And then one day I read that there are people who have been sick and even died because they took communion incorrectly. And it's like, wow, that's, uh, that's a scary passage. You know, We should definitely pay attention. God takes communion very seriously. And we've been convicted that we should take it seriously as well. And we think that one of the ways to do it is to take it more often because I think it shows um, the importance of what God wanted us to do. So if you have any more questions about that, just you can email us at any time. Um, so dad, why don't we want to buy a building? Why doesn't Sleepless Church, why isn't one of their goals to buy a building? Yeah,
0: that's a, that's a great question. And honestly, it's one that a lot of folks who check us out really struggle with. Why don't we have um, even not, why well, don't we have a building, but we don't even have plans to buy a building, right? We never intend to save money up and rent or buy or build a corporate worship center. And the reason for that is, Uh, Well, the primary reason for that is, quite frankly, it's just extremely expensive. Um, The average church in the United States, or at least the average Baptist church, spends 82% of their budget on um, administration and building costs, you know, the light bill and the, the rent and things like that. So almost all of the money that you give to the church or that people give to the church a huge percentage of it goes to overhead, and um, that certainly wasn't the case with the early church. They didn't have buildings, uh, and some would make the argument, "Yeah, well, they they couldn't have buildings because they would just get burned down," uh, and that's true. But I, you know, they didn't for a long time, um, and and only in unique circumstances did they did they do stuff like that. So um, we want our money to go to certain places. We don't want the money that our members give to go to overhead. And so we've chosen to, to use the model that we're using to try to emulate the
1: mm-hmm. church. Okay.
0: So, um, John, one of the things that's kind of related to that is we don't just have one home group. We could just have a single home church, right? We don't, if we don't have a building, our home group could be the only home group, but that's also not our model. We have multiple home groups. Why multiple home groups?
1: Yeah. So, um, in creating this church, it was originally just my father and my mother. Um, and they took a long time to, they originally were in a, what we would consider a normal church and it was a a large church and they, um, were feeling as if they needed to do something different. Um, and so they, one of the best models out there that they found was the home group church because, um, it really, uh, well one of the one of the whole goals of the Christian life is disciple someone else and in doing multiple home groups we are able to disciple these the leaders of the little home groups to be able to effectively preach God's word without our help that is our goal is that they wouldn't need our help they would be able to do so on their own through the holy spirit of course but with the bible and uh i mean that that is certainly I think one of God's goals for all of us is that we would know the Bible well enough to be able to tell someone about Jesus. I mean, that, that is certainly one of the main goals of the Christian life is to evangelize and disciple others. And I think that having multiple home groups and not just having one large group makes it more effective at being able to disciple other people. Um, yeah,
0: so... Uh, hey, but before you go to the next one, can you imagine the work Paul could have done if he had
1: had the internet? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying, right? So you spoke about how we didn't want to do overhead. So what do you do with the giving that you do get?
0: Yeah, so that's an excellent question. And it's it's something that's super near and dear to my heart, your heart. Um, honestly, pretty much everybody who understands our model, uh, I think are really bought into this idea We want as much of the money that comes in, as close to 100% as possible, of the money to go in uh, or the money that comes in to go to one of two things, benevolence and missions. And quite frankly, those two categories really bleed into each other um, because you can be on mission a thousand miles from home and you can be on mission across the street. Um, And benevolence, of course, is simply who do we know in our church community that needs help? Who needs, you know, uh, you know, Bob, so to speak, is uh, having chemotherapy, can't make his uh, insurance payments, you know, things like that. How how do we help the people that are in our uh, oikos, in our sphere of influence? And that's where we want the money to go. So we want to make sure that we're funneling the money to people, um, whether it's missions and literally discipling people like you just mentioned, or whether it's uh, just Straight up benevolence, helping people with the bills that they have, the needs that they have, specific needs, not just wants, obviously, but real needs, just like the early church did. You know, the, in, in the book of Acts, it says they gave to one another as they had need. And that's that's what we're trying to accomplish here at Stipolis. Um
1: Yeah, well, really along that same vein, you said, why don't we want to buy a building and what do we do with the money that we do get? How would you challenge... or? How would you respond to someone who challenges you to say that um, the American church is what we should strive for? That's biblical and that not having a building wouldn't be biblical. How would you respond to that?
0: So, yeah, that's an interesting question. I want to tread lightly because clearly God has called some to that model. I, I believe there are plenty of pastors, plenty of um parishioners who have been called into that model uh, on purpose. Uh, and I, I think for a period of my life, God had called me to work in that model on purpose. It's not like I misunderstood God, mm-hmm. you know, when we were at the church that we were at before. Um, but in in general, um, I think that what's happened is we've got this idea of what church is supposed to look like. And, we don't really, we have a tendency to think, well, because this is the way most people do church, that must be the biblical way to do church. Well, I'm not saying it's not biblical to have a big building and to do all those things, but it certainly isn't required. Uh, The early church didn't have buildings, and I'm not saying buildings are bad, I'm just, you know, and I'll be honest, if somebody says, hey, we have this big, beautiful building, and it's gonna have this huge electric bill and this huge, all this other stuff, But we'll pay for it. We're going to give it to you. Then we'll go use it. So it's not that I have a problem with the building. Um, It's that I have a problem with spending our resources on that and not helping the people. The scary thing is the average Baptist church in the United States spends 1% of their budget on benevolence. Only 1% of every dollar that comes into a church in the United States ends up in the hands of somebody who really needs help. Um, And and so I would say, if anything, they would want to challenge themselves. Are they in the most, are they in the the closest will of God Mm -hmm. in the way they're doing church as opposed to the way we are?
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to note that 114 times the word church in Greek is ekklesia. 114 times that is mentioned in the New Testament. And all scholars agree that in nowhere does that, refer to a building every single time it's mentioned it's refers to a gathering of believers absolutely
0: absolutely um, all right so we've got this this church we've got uh, you know with that's not in a building it's a different model we also expect our members to be engaged in their faith why why do we expect that
1: yeah so it is uh, very difficult for me to uh, really almost require it be- because I am fully, obviously American, and in and, and the church I came from, they wanted you to do that, but it certainly wasn't required. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was the goal of the church was to require, but honestly, with thirteen thousand people coming weekly to one campus, you it, it, you just. There's a huge portion of those people that will never do anything in the church. And that's just a fact. You can't always get everyone engaged. And that's one of the really nice things with the really small church is that we can talk to them weekly. We can yeah. and, um, you know, be in their lives and actually talk to them outside of church, of course, and stuff through text messages and whatever. Um, and clearly the early church was extremely... Uh, well, like tight knit. Or- tight knit. Yeah, everything was about community, you know, mm-hmm. and and people expected to be engaged in the church. People expected to volunteer, to actually tithe, you know, and things like that. And the reason why we want our members, and really honestly, all of our members are helping to some extent in the church, is because uh, that is what you see in the Bible. I mean, every every Christian, you're supposed to be dedicated to God. It's it's and it's while i'm like oh i don't want to bother them and stuff because of my american culture that's not what we see in the bible and so i've been trying to challenge myself even to really try to not allow the whole american culture of i don't want to bother anyone else to honestly it's spiritual growth Mm -hmm. many times is worked out through service i think um and I, i at least in my life and many of the people that i've seen is that service is absolutely one of the best ways and Certainly, biblically, it's one of the best ways to grow in your faith is by helping others. You know, when you go to Haiti, you can't serve in Haiti and then come home and be like, oh, this is totally normal. You know, we should, you know, <laughs> you, you challenge yourself, especially spiritually, and say, God, how can I help other people more?
0: And, and I think it would honestly get, I think it would be tough to go to our church and do nothing a, because everybody else around you is doing something. Yeah. And also, quite frankly, it seems like somehow, some way, the Great Commission works, it way, works its way into almost every sermon I give. Not because I intend to do that, but because that's God's plan for our lives on earth. Yeah. And it just sort of works itself out that way. It, yeah. It's like every week. Wow. I don't know if I need to reference this verse again because I've said it 87, <laughs> time, or 87 weeks in a row. But um, at the end of the day, that's why we're here.
1: Yeah, and what's funny, I guarantee you every church you've ever been to says, we want you more engaged than just Sunday because that's not how you live with God. Every church I've been to, and I've been to a lot of different denominations of churches, everyone will say the Christian life is not meant to be lived only on Sunday. And so that's why we have the Bible study. That's why we pray every week with community. That's why we try to... um, at least most of our members we talk to weekly outside of the church as well, just because we know that that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to be engaged and communicate with each other, share our lives with each other. Iron sharpens iron, right? Um,
0: well, that's a great segue into the into kind of the last question, Yeah, right? so
1: so what uh, what does it mean that the church has all things in common? We see that in the New Testament. What does that mean?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a phrase that I think a lot of people skip over when they talk about the first century church. Um, When Luke records that, you know, Acts kind of 242 through uh, 46, it really is about this community of believers who are literally doing life together. And one of the things that was radically different about the early church from today's, at least American church, is that in our culture, in church or out of church, it doesn't matter, we don't Um, expose all of our life to the people we know. We don't tell people what's really going on, right? How many times have you, for example, maybe you have good friends and out of the blue, they're getting a divorce and you had no idea that they were even having marital struggles, right? Um, It's because we don't tell each other what's going on in our life. And that is not how the Christian life was intended to be lived. And so when it says they have all things in common, it means they actually talked to each other. They actually prayed with one another. They worshipped together. They had intimate things in common. They talked to one another so frequently and they ate with each other and they did all these things as a community. So when, you know, when Bob can't make the rent, Bob's not embarrassed that he has to go tell someone that he can't pay the rent. Everybody already knows. Everybody already knows that he broke his leg and because he broke his leg, he hasn't been able to work. And because of that, he can't pay the rent. Everybody already knows that. Um, and so, and it wasn't by the way, a point of shame. It was a, actually a point of honor people in the early church believed it. And it is an honor to help one another. So it wasn't like, Oh, we got to help Bob. It was, isn't this awesome? We can sell that, you know, that piece of land that's just been sitting there that we've never used. We can sell that and help Bob. And so that's a, a radically different mindset from where we are today and I'll be honest that's probably going to be the hardest piece for mm-hmm. us to accomplish because changing someone's attitude about culture, yeah, that is a huge feat. So that's our goal is that one day we can say that the people at Steepless Church have all things in common. That's what we're striving for.
1: Yeah. And it's really funny that I was a history major and I really love other cultures and we talk about how Eastern culture is very much community tends to be A lot more, we even have, um, if you're in the United States, you have some close to you. uh, Mexico. Uh, Any of the Latino culture is usually extremely tight knit. The families are very close to each other. Um, In the Western culture, so Europe, Australia, and the United States, Canada, we tend to be very individual. And I think that has hurt us a lot in certain ways. And it's helped us a lot in certain other ways, you know. Um, But it has hurt us. And I think one of the major ways is that we are unable to really speak to, I mean, how many, what percentage of people say they're lonely? I know that it's massive. It's like 75% of people at one point or another have said that they're extremely lonely um, in the United States. I've done research on it and it's, it's, it's sad how many people search Google every day. I'm lonely. I want a friend, you know, kind of things. It's millions per day it's and it's huge. almost always in the Western culture because they are so individualistic. You know, and so we need to challenge ourselves that while our Western culture isn't, I wouldn't say it's anti-biblical, but certainly sometimes it's anti-biblical and sometimes it's good, but we need to challenge ourselves and say, okay, what in the Western culture is good for me and what do I not need?
0: And I I honestly didn't intend to talk about this at all, but our roots are Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... You know, when Pentecost happened, Luke 2 is literally the history of the church right after, you know, Jesus has been resurrected. He's here for about 40 days. Um, he goes up to heaven roughly a week later. The Holy Spirit comes down. And the reason that it happened on what we call Pentecost is because all of the Jews were in Jerusalem for Passover. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a, obviously a, a Jewish holiday, right? Those people, that community was extremely tight-knit. Yeah, They were people who understood doing community together. In fact, uh, I remember just the other day, you mentioned on the Bible study, to be what we would call like excommunicated, to be pushed out of the synagogue was, was devastating because they didn't just lose their church. They lost every connection with every person they had in their life. Yeah. And that was... And they were connected to the people around them. So, um, and by the way, they still are.
1: Absolutely, super close.
0: Absolutely, and you know that. Say what you want. That yes, did they miss the Messiah? Absolutely. Um, And I love to share with my Jewish brothers how they missed the Messiah and try to point them to Jesus. But there's some things they still do right, and one of them is family and community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, hey, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. As always, if you have questions, prayer requests, anything we can do for you, any way we can help you, um, go to steeplelesschurch.com. Contact us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to chat with you. And we'll see you on the next podcast.